Good morning. It's great to see you. Great to have all of you with us. Thanks for leaning in uh, this month as we've just tried some different uh, worship experiences and what I know you're used to. Uh, if, you, if you are just joining us, we are in week number three of a series called Wonder. We're talking about the wonder of worship, especially as we see it in the Christmas story. And so um, when I, in 2015, I was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And it was a shock to me. It turned my world upside down. And in the weeks that followed, there was just this you know, whirlwind of test after test after test to kind of determine where things were. And then I was sentenced to my first uh, round of radiation treatment. And so I can remember uh, coming into the waiting room, coming into the radiation treatment center, walking into the waiting room. I remember going in and checking in, uh, registering there at the, at the desk, and then sitting down in the waiting room. And as I sat down in the waiting room, there was only one other person. There was this woman to my right. And so as I sat down in the waiting room, my phone came out and my head went down, right? Because that's what we do in waiting rooms. I wanted to get in and I wanted to get out as quickly as possible. I did not want to talk to people. I did not want to engage. I just wanted to get through this as quick as I could. As I'm sitting there with my phone out and my head down, this guy comes uh, and I'll say the word hobbling. He comes hobbling out of the back, obviously coming uh, back from having some, some radiation treatment. He's got a walker. He's got tubes attached to him. And he's probably only in his mid to late 50s, if I had to guess. Uh, but he, he looks sick. And he's, he makes his way into the waiting room area. The woman that's sitting to my right jumps up and calls him by name and like runs over and gives him this huge hug and the two of them are just like overjoyed to see one another, so much to the point where it's like they're almost like dancing around the waiting room. Even this guy with, with the walker and everything and all the tubes, they're just, he's just so happy to, to see her. She's so happy to see him. And as they're talking, a third guy walks in from the parking lot, makes his way into the waiting room. And when he sees the two of them, he calls them by name, he, and he walks over, and now it's like they're, they're hugging each other. All three of them are hugging one another, and they begin to talk to one another about how is treatment going, how are you feeling, all this. And at one point in the conversation, the, the first guy who had walked out from the radiation area says to the other two, my daughter just got engaged, and next summer, I'm going to walk her down the aisle. And the guy who had walked in from the parking lot looks at his friend and, and points his finger like this at him. And he says, you know what? I'm going to be praying for you that God allows you to do just that. At, at this point, my phone is down, my head is up, and my mouth is open, right? Because I'm, at this point, I'm the only one in the waiting room not joining in in this celebration and this party. I wanted to get up and just be like, come on, bring it in. Just come up. I just wanted to like get in on the hug, you know, in the moment. And, and as I'm watching these, these people, and what, the thought that occurred to me was these are not family members. These aren't even like longtime friends who grew up together and who know each other. If, by listening to their conversation, I could tell these are people who met here in the waiting room of the radiation treatment center. That's where they met. That's where their paths have crossed. There is something about suffering there's something about situations of our life that either drive us toward God and toward other people, or those situations drive us into isolation, 
away from God, away from others. So as we enter in this morning, the question I want to ask you, as you think about your life, I want to ask you, do the situations of your life drive you to worship? Do they? Whatever situations you're facing right now, whatever circumstances you walked in with and you've been dealing with, do the situations of your life, do they drive you toward God, toward worship? Or do the situations of your life drive you toward worry, anxiety, fear, despair? Here's the disclaimer I'll make for the sermon and for what we're about to enter into this morning. Uh, This sermon is not going to change any of the circumstances of your life. It just isn't. I don't have any belief that the, the, this morning this, the sermon is going to actually change the situation. It just doesn't have that, the power to change the situation in your life that you're facing. But here's the thing. The truth of what we're going to talk about when it, as it relates to worship, if we lean into this, especially what Jesus talks about specifically related to worship, if you lean into it, if you embrace it, it does have the power to change you in the midst of your circumstances. And it just might be that that is actually the real change that needs to happen. So let's let's jump in, shall we? This is we're going to jump into the Christmas story. As we've mentioned the last couple weeks, there are these four worship songs that you find in the in the Christmas story, and they've all been given these Latin names by the church. Uh, In Luke's gospel, there are these two worship songwriters that appear, and that both write this beautiful worship song that we've been celebrating and reading and, and for years and years. It's Mary and Zechariah are the two worship songwriters that you find in Luke's gospel. And Mary, what happens is Mary is a 15-year-old girl. She's not married. She's a virgin. She is engaged to be married. And what happens is an angel appears to Mary and announces to her that she is going to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit and that she's going to give birth to the Messiah, the one who we've all been waiting for, the one who's going to put it all back together again. And so when she hears this news, this would not have been news she was wanting to get, okay? In fact, this would have been news that would have disrupted her life in some pretty dramatic ways. How is she going to explain this to Joseph, her fiancé? And even if Joseph believed her, how are the two of them going to explain this to their family, to their friends? How in the world are they going to make sense of this This news would have disrupted her life in all kinds of ways. But what Mary does is when she gets this news, the situation she finds herself in drives her to worship. And so Mary in Luke 1, uh, she sings this song that we've come to know as the Magnificat. It's Luke 146 through 55. My soul glorifies the Lord. It's this beautiful, uh, you know, lyrical song that she sings in worship to God in response to this news, to this situation. She sings the Magnificat and worships. A friend posted this online, this image, um, this past week. It was actually originally a hand-drawn piece of art by a nun in a monastery here in the States. In 2003 is when she uh, created it, but ever since then, it's kind of made its rounds around the entire world. What you you see here is on the left, you have Eve, uh, the mother of all, and you you have the serpent still wrapped around her leg, and in her right hand, she's still clutching the fruit that she took, how sin entered and brokenness entered our world. But then with her other hand, she's touching the belly of Mary, Uh, who is the mother 
of Jesus, who's going to be the savior of it all, who's going to put it all back together again. In this one image, you have this beautiful picture of the gospel story. Sometimes a picture or a work of art can say things, can it, that like our words just can't quite say. And so what Mary is doing in the Magnificat is she's celebrating her role in this, her, her part in this entire gospel story, the redemption of all the world, then the part that she gets to, be, to play, her response to her situation is to turn to God and to worship him. My soul glorifies the Lord, for he's lifted the lowly up. And, and, he, and she celebrates what's happening. The other worship songwriter in the story is Zechariah. And Zechariah is a priest, and his wife, Elizabeth, is a close relative of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And the text tells us two pieces of information about Zechariah and Elizabeth. First, it says that Zechariah and Elizabeth were devout, and they honored God in everything they did. So on the Sabbath, they were observing the Sabbath. They were going to the temple that Zechariah was a priest. They were holy. Everyone knew they were the kind of people that followed God and honored him. The other piece of information the text gives us is that they were childless. And I don't think it's by accident that those two things are said right together. Because in that context, if you honored God, if you uh, were devout, if you, uh, if you valued him with everything you did, God would bless you with a child. That's the way they thought. And so... They've honored God, Zechariah and Elizabeth, but there's been no child. And so as they've gone through their 20s, as they get into their late 20s, Elizabeth's friends begin to comfort her. It's okay. I'm sure it'll happen for you. Martha in the next village, it didn't happen for her until she was 29. Then they get into their 30s and then now into their mid-30s and their late 30s and still there's no child. At what point, maybe in their early 40s, do their friends and their neighbors start to say, what's really going on? Confess. There must be some sort of hidden sin. There must be something wrong with you. Why hasn't it happened for you? So Zechariah and Elizabeth, they would have been desperately waiting for this news. They want the news that they are, they're going to have a baby. For whatever reason, God has not granted that blessing in their life. And so they're desperate. They're hoping they get this news. And so an angel appears to Zechariah and announces to Zechariah the news that you would think they've been waiting for, that Elizabeth is going to become pregnant and she's going to give birth to John the Baptist, the one who would go and prepare the way before Jesus. And so Mary, she wasn't even wanting this news that she was going to be pregnant. She turns to God and she worships him. And so we're expecting, of course, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they've been waiting for this news. They've been desperate for it. Of course, they're going to worship. But in actuality, when Zechariah gets the news... He responds with doubt. He doesn't respond in faith. And, and what he ins- responds with instead is the question, how? How is that going to happen? How are you, really? We're so old. How is that going to take place? And because his response is not worship, because it's not a response of faith and worship, what happens is the angel takes away his voice. He loses his voice. The very instrument he would have to give God praise and to sing and to, and to worship is taken from him until Elizabeth gives birth to John the Baptist. And at the moment of his birth, they name him John and Zechariah's voice returns. And when his voice returns, he sings what we know as the Benedictus. Luke 1, 68 through 79, sometimes called maybe in your Bible in the heading, it'll say Zechariah's song. He sings this beautiful song of worship of what God has done for him. Some of, for some of us, situations in our life, even if they weren't situations we asked for, we didn't give permission for them to happen. We weren't wanting them. But when they come into our lives, they drive us toward God in worship. 
For others of us, even the situations we want to have happen, even the thing we've been praying for when the situation happens, sometimes we doubt. We take matters into our own hands. We don't respond in faith, but we question and we ask how, and we, it drives us into isolation. It drives us away from God. We lose our voices. We lose our ability to praise God, even in the midst of it. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at a conversation that Jesus has with a woman at the well in John chapter 4. There's this powerful, dramatic conversation that Jesus has with this woman about worship. And it's about the question, what drives our worship? What really drives our worship? What is really, uh, what, what, how does worship relate to our circumstances in terms of what drives us? And so let me set the stage for you um, for this uh, powerful passage. Jesus, in John chapter 4, there's a well that Jesus has come to. And, and wells were kind of like the, the center of a community. People would have to come, usually women, early in the morning before the heat of the day. And they would have to draw water so they could have it for their families for the day. And so there's a woman that approaches the well, but she's not coming early in the morning. She's coming in the heat of the day. After the time when most of the people of the village would have come to draw water from the well. So she's coming at a time when she knows and she's hoping she's not going to run into any people. She doesn't want to have to talk. She's had five husbands and the man she's with now is not her husband. She would not have been looked at with high regard by her community. And so she goes at a time when she knows she's going to be alone and she's not going to have to talk to people. Her phone is out and her head is down. <laughs> That's where she's at. And as she makes her way to the well, she's surprised to see Jesus sitting there at the well. She's even more surprised when Jesus speaks to her because a Jewish man would never have crossed the cultural boundary to talk to a Samaritan woman in this day. She's a Samaritan woman. He's a Jewish man. You, the two of them just wouldn't have interacted. But Jesus speaks first, and he begins to engage her and talk about with her. She's even more surprised when Jesus begins to tell her things about her life that there's no way he should have been able to know. And he begins to get into the real stuff of her life. He begins to, to talk with her about her deepest shame, her sexual and relationship failings, the, thing that she's, the, the reason that she's going by herself and making sure she doesn't run anybody. Jesus is, is beginning to discuss with her the real stuff of her life and what's happening and how God wants to meet her in the midst of that. And so what she does as the conversation gets a little uncomfortable or too close for her is she changes the subject so she can talk about worship preferences. Aren't you glad we don't do that today? Right? Aren't you glad that when the conversation starts to become about, let's talk about your life, the real stuff of your life and where God wants to meet you, aren't you glad that people today don't say, you know, I just, I'd like to talk a little bit about the volume of the sound system. I'd like to talk about the fact that I don't particularly approve of the color of the new chairs. I'd like to discuss that, please. Aren't you glad we don't, do, those barbarians back then, I don't know, thank God we don't do that today, right? But this is what's happening. Jesus is talking to her about the real stuff of her life. And so take a look. She changes the subject in verse 19. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? Okay, so she's changing the subject. She's saying, okay, let's talk about worship preferences. Uh, we worship here on the mountain. You guys worship in the temple at Jerusalem. Why is that? What's the distinction? She's saying, I'm a Pentecostal. You are a Presbyterian. 
You're part of the Frozen Chosen. I'm one of those happy, clappy people. <laughs> right? This is what she's doing. She's saying, they're, they're, I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. There's differences between us. Let's, let's highlight and let's talk about those differences and what my preferences are versus what your preferences are. Just to give you a little bit of background. At this time, on terms of what Samaritans actually believed, Samaritans would have been in the neighboring community. Jesus is passing through a Samaritan area here near Mount Gerizim. And Samaritans actually would have believed in what we know, what we call the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. The Jewish people refer to it as the Torah, the law of Moses. They actually believed in that. And they believed God revealed himself in the first five books of the Bible. And they believed in that, but they did not believe in the prophets. They, they didn't believe the prophets were actually sent by God. And so when she says to Jesus, sir, I can see you're a prophet. And then she asks him her question. It's kind of tongue in cheek. She's kind of being sarcastic there because Samaritans didn't believe in the prophets. Well, I, I see you're a prophet. Okay, well, let me ask you this question. What she's doing is she's highlighting the differences between them. They didn't believe in worship in the temple. They didn't believe in uh, worship at Jerusalem. But what they did believe in is they believed in the idea of a Messiah that was coming. From the first five books of the Bible, they, the Samaritan people this time did believe in the idea that, that there was a Messiah who was going to come and that he was going to be the king and he was going to um, repair the damage that had been done by sin in the world. They understood that and they believed in that. So let's take a look at how Jesus responds in this conversation. Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when, the worshiper, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, what I want you to see here in this passage is that Jesus doesn't remain neutral in the whole worship preferences conversation. He takes a side. And what Jesus says is, is he actually affirms the Jewish position. He says, no, actually, it's, it's our people. Salvation comes through the Jews. We actually understand the true worship. But then what Jesus does that's so powerful in this conversation is he pivots. And he's, he pivots away from people and what different worship preferences are. And he begins to talk about what God is looking for in worship. For Jesus... Worship isn't about what, he, what people are looking for in a worship experience. For Jesus, worship is all about the Father looking for worshipers, a specific kind of worshiper. But what he's looking for are people who are, be, who are willing to worship in spirit and in truth. What does it look like to worship in spirit and in truth? Those are the only conditions that are necessary for worship. For Jesus... It's not about people who are looking for a worship experience that meets all their needs and it's perfect to their preferences. For Jesus, it's about a bigger reality. God the Father is looking for worshipers in spirit and in truth. Are you one of those? Are you a worshiper in spirit and truth? That's what the Father is, is, is looking for. 
The, the word spirit would have uh, indicated in, in this time, when we hear the word spirit, we think instantly uh, in the New Testament of the Holy Spirit, right? That worshipers who are, who are connected to or hearing from the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament context, G, what Jesus would have been referring to there was the spirit of God that was on the prophets that allowed them to speak for God. And in terms of truth, the idea of truth in an Old Testament context would have referred to the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, that that was the highest uh, form of truth that the world knew, that God had revealed himself in the law of Moses. And so they would have understood that as the highest form of truth. So, so what's happening here is there's this internal reality. We can't worship unless we align with God internally related to our spirit, but there's also this idea that we also can't worship unless we align ourselves with God in this external reality of the truth of how he's revealed who he is and who we are. We worship in spirit and we worship and in truth. That's what the Father is looking for. So I'd love to just take a second. I'd love to talk about both of those things. Talk first about spirit and then we'll talk about truth. So first there's this idea of what does it mean to worship in spirit? Uh, I love this quote by John Orberg. He uses the word soul but he's talking about the same concept. He says, the soul seeks God with its whole being. Because it is desperate to be whole, the soul is God-smitten and God-crazy and God-obsessed. My mind may be obsessed with idols. My will may be enslaved to habits. My body may be consumed with appetites, but my soul will never find rest until it rests in God. He's talking about this idea that there's this internal part of who we are that's not just our physical bodies, it's not just our appetites, it's not just uh, you know, our, our own humanness, but it's that part of us that's eternal. It's that part of us that asks the question, what on earth am I here for? What's my purpose? That, that asks bigger questions about where am I going even after my life is over? That part of us, our soul is endlessly restless and it's hungry for God. Our, our soul will never find rest until it rests in God. The passage of scripture that says God has put eternity in the hearts of men, this idea that we have a soul, we have this deeper question that, that all of us seem to ask and to hunt for, and we're hungry for God. And, and so our spirit wants to connect with the Holy Spirit, with God. We want to know him. That's the eternal part of us that, that we want to know and hear from him on. Now, I know some of you are saying right now, yeah, but I don't always feel the Holy Spirit, right? Like when we worship, and I'm not always thinking about that part of who I am, you know, that, that part. And I, I get that. That's the reality for all of us. We're, none of us are always feeling the Holy Spirit moving in our lives. But what, what I want you to understand is that what, what we're talking about here when we talk about worshiping in spirit, it's choosing the act of worship no matter what circumstances I'm encountering right now. No matter what I'm feeling right now, I'm choosing the act of worship over my emotions at the moment. I'm choosing the act of worship over my situation. I'm choosing the act of worship over my preferences. Worshiping in spirit is this inward heart posture to say, I'm going to inwardly, I'm going to choose to put my focus and my worship on God, no matter what's happening inside of me or what's happening around me. See, see here's what most of us do. We, most of us, even as Christians, we spend our lives waiting and working towards some moment in the future when the conditions will be perfect for us to worship. Just, just like this Samaritan woman. Well, the conditions aren't, aren't quite right for me to worship the way that you do. 
And we spend our lives waiting for this moment, working toward this moment when everything's gonna be perfect and then I will be thankful, then I will worship. When the bank account finally gets to this amount, then I'll really be able to worship. When the kids get a little older, when the kids graduate, then I'll be able to worship. When I get that promotion and when I finally get that job, that's when I'll finally be able to be there. That's when I'll worship. We're almost there. When we get to that point, when we're able to retire and we have that amount in the bank account and we're able to walk, that's when we'll really be able to give our lives. That's when we'll really be able to worship fully. And so what happens is we postpone our joy and we postpone our worship to a moment where the conditions will be perfect. That is not worship in spirit. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Worship in spirit is when we choose the act of worship over whatever is happening right now. Whether the conditions are perfect or not, whatever the situation we find ourselves in right now, uh, we choose the inward posture, the heart posture of worship over whatever else is happening. If you're going through something right now, if you're in a circumstance right now that's tough, you've worried about it, you've thought about it, maybe you've even prayed about it. The question I'm asking you this morning is, have you worshiped Jesus in the midst of it? Because that's the move that will change you in the midst of your circumstances. It may not change your circumstances, but that will change you in the midst of your circumstances. And that is the real change for most of us that needs to happen in our lives. That's what it means to worship in spirit. See, what happens is when we understand the gospel, when we really grasp it, what happens is our hope gets transferred from our situations or our bank account or whatever it is we put security and trust in, our relationships, and our hope and our trust gets transferred from those things and gets transferred to the person of Jesus. When we really understand the gospel that Jesus came and died in our place and he rose again to give us new life in him, our hope becomes secure in him. And so, therefore, what happens is whatever circumstances comes up in my life, whatever situation I face, it just serves to inform and to shape my worship experience a little bit more. There's no circumstance that can steal my joy and can steal my worship because my worship, when I fully understand the gospel, has been put in Jesus. And he's eternal. He's unchanging. And his promises are forever. And so, whatever happens, it just serves to be like a context for my worship. All my circumstances, all my situations, just give me the reasons to worship. Just give me the context that I need in order to be able to worship. You have a context for your worship right now. I don't know each of you individually what you're going through, what you carried in this morning. I don't know what difficult circumstance you're in. But whatever's happening in your life right now, you have a context for your worship right now. When you don't know where your 17-year-old is, you have a context for worship. When HR calls you in to thank you for your many years of service and to let you know that your job is being eliminated, you have a context for your worship. When you get to the, almost to the finish line and you've got almost the amount of money you need to saved up to be able to retire and you've got all the plans in place and then a family crisis wipes out your entire savings and you're 64 and you're saying, what do I do now? You have a context for your worship. 
When you walk away from the family Christmas gathering and you feel about a foot shorter and a lot smaller than when you walked in, you have a context for your worship. All of us do. I have a context for my worship. I mentioned in 2015, I was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. From that point to right now, I've, my life, I've been living in these six-month increments. Literally, my, I think of my life in like these six-month blocks because every six months, I go in for full-body CT scans, and then a week, about a week later, I sit uh, at an oncologist appointment, and we review those scans, and I find out if I'm still in remission or if it's progressed or what, you know, if there's going to be uh, whatever we're going to have to do next. And so these six-month increments are kind of the way my life is, is framed. And I live, and so like three months will go by, four months, five months will go by. I won't even think about it. Like, honestly, I won't even be thinking about it. It won't even be in my mind. And then we'll get to that six-month. And that date is on the calendar for those scans and that doctor's appointment to review those scans. And I start to develop, the term I've used to describe it is scanxiety. It's a unique kind of anxiety that those, only those of us with a cancer diagnosis can understand. As you get closer to those, uh, those appointments, you start to develop it. It's like the last thing that you think about before you close your eyes at night. It's the first thing on your mind when you open your eyes in the morning. It becomes, what's this going to do? What's this going to mean? What is the, what is, how is this going to affect the trajectory of my life? I'm actually between one of those moments right now. Last Friday was my full body CT scans. And tomorrow, Monday, I have my oncologist appointment. So I am in the midst, in between one of those moments right now. And here's what's happened as, as I've lived my life in these six month increments over the last few years. What's happened is it has actually given me a context for my worship. It's actually just made my worship sweeter and more meaningful. There's this song that we sing here at Frontline. It's, I think it's become like one of the favorite songs uh, that, we, that we sing here at Frontline. It's called Living Hope. It's by a guy named Phil Wickham. And there's this, uh, there's this line in that song when we get to it. I can, and every time we get to this song and we're singing it here together, I, there are a lot of times where I can't even get through it. But the line says, out of the silence, the roaring lion has declared the grave has no claim on me. Those words mean something to me now that they did not mean before a few years ago because I have a context for my worship. My hope is not in my circumstances. My hope is in Christ You have a context for your worship too. What is it? Here, here's what I want to do. I want to hit pause on the sermon for a moment. The sermon's not over, but what I want you to do is I want you to stand up with me. We're not done yet, but we're going to take a moment. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that circumstance, that situation that you're facing right now, whatever it is, our, we, our situations either drive us toward God in worship or they drive us away into isolation, into distance from God. What I want you to do is I want you to take that situation and I want you to lift it before God right now. In your mind, in your heart, if it helps you to do this with your hands, do that. And I want you to sing. We're going to sing a little bit of that song together. 
And I want you to, right now in this moment, I want you to choose the ex- to worship God. I want you to choose worship in spirit. Choose to worship God no matter what the situation is, no matter what the circumstances have offered you, no matter what the news is that you're facing right now. You've worried about it. You've stressed out about it. Maybe you've even prayed about it. Have you worshiped him in the midst of it? Because that's what actually invites God into our situations. That's what actually changes us. So as we sing these words right now, just whatever that is internally, lift that situation to God and let's worship him in the midst of it.
there's something powerful that happens when we choose the act of worship, this inward posture of worship. We choose to worship in spirit regardless of whatever's happening in our circumstances. It has the power to change us in the midst of whatever it is we're facing. I'd love if you could stay standing. We're gonna talk about that, that second thing and then we're gonna respond in worship. Jesus says the Father is looking for worshipers. It's not about people looking for the perfect worship experience, it's about the Father looking for worshipers in spirit and in, in truth. I'd love to finish that conversation that Jesus has with the woman at the well. He says this to her at the end. Go ahead to that next passage. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. See, the Samaritans believed in the idea that a Messiah was coming, so she can't make sense of this whole thing and what a worship and what it all means. So she says, but the Messiah, when he comes, he's gonna he'll make sense of it. He'll put it all back together again. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. And that's the point of the whole conversation they're happening. The point of it all is Jesus says, it all points to me. Whether it's the temple, whether it's the Torah, whether it's the story of the Jewish people, whether it's whatever it is, it all points to me and it finds its fulfillment in me. Later in John's gospel, this is John 4, 10 chapters later in John 14, Jesus makes this astounding statement. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He doesn't say, I know the truth and I can tell it to you. He doesn't say, I can point you toward the truth. He says, I am the truth. The Father is looking for worshipers in spirit and in truth. And then Jesus says, I am the truth. So worship is choosing the act of worship in, in a heart posture internally, whether we're in the midst of a situation that's perfect or not. But worship is also centered on the person of Jesus. Because Jesus is the, is the thing that's the only thing in our world, the only thing in our lives that is worthy of putting our full hope and our full trust in. So our worship doesn't have to be perfect. Our conditions, our situations don't have to be perfect in order for us to get our worship on because the Savior is perfect. He is the one that it all points to. And he's the one that it finds fulfillment in. So we worship in spirit and we worship in truth. So here's the point of all of it. If you get nothing else out of the sermon this morning, just get this. This is the whole point of the sermon. If you worship culture, you're gonna need preferences endlessly the rest of your life. A worship band, hymns, uh, an auditorium that's tuned perfect with the perfect volume. Life circumstances and situations that are perfect in order for you to be able to get your worship on. If you worship culture, you're endlessly and always gonna need preferences. But if you worship Jesus, you can worship anywhere and under any circumstance. The conditions don't have to be perfect because the Savior is. And so here's the challenge this morning. Here's what I wanna challenge you with. I wanna challenge you to make worship your default response to whatever happens in your life, to whatever situation you're facing right now, to whatever's gonna happen in the next couple weeks, make worship your default situation, your default response rather to whatever situation you find yourself in and watch when you do that. 
how it will change you in the midst of your circumstances. And that's what the Father is looking for. He's looking for worshipers who worship Him in spirit and truth. Would you pray with me? So Lord Jesus, we just come to you, the truth, this morning. We come to you, the one that it all points to. And the one who in the incarnation, we see you came into this world. You didn't uh, give us some advice from a distance. You entered in, God, not to give us an answer to our pain and our brokenness and the situations of our lives, but you came in to enter the situations and the pain and the brokenness of our lives to be the answer. And so Jesus, we turn to you right now. We choose the act of worship over whatever it is that's happening in our lives. And we choose you, Jesus, as the truth, the ultimate perfection of our faith. And so God, would you enter in, would you change us in the midst of our circumstances? Would you change our hearts? Would you make us and mold us and shape us into what you want us to be? Because we can transfer our hope and our trust away from our circumstances, away from our situations, away from our relationships, whatever it is that we put our faith and trust in, we can put it on you. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are the one who is worthy of our hope and our trust and our faith because you are eternal, you are unchanging, and you, our hope is secure in you. So we worship you in that, Jesus. And in your name, everyone said, amen. Let's sing.